Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman. Today, I'm joined by Peter Stutches. Peter is the CEO of Andino, a global chemical fulfillment and logistics company. Peter, thanks for joining the, uh, the show. Thank you for inviting me, Paul. I'm excited to talk about chemicals today, which I guess are a whole spectrum of, of different products, but many of which are themselves commodities and therefore face much of the pressure that the, the other commodities markets face in terms of transparency, you know, rapid change in digitization. I guess I wanted to start off by, can you kind of orientate us as to the chemicals world, you know, the, the commodities side of the spectrum of, of them? Certainly. I'd like to start off with a statement that I, I believe uh, firmly that the chemical and petrochemical industry is a very important and accurate barometer of the economy. And I say that out of experience, uh, when we start to see a slowdown in orders being placed for raw materials, it's clear that there is going to be a slowdown and vice versa. If we see an uptick, then normally we can expect that a couple of months afterwards, we will see an improvement in the economic activity. So Chemicals and petrochemicals are an important barometer for the economy, uh, and that counts for producers uh, as well as end users and or distributors. And to give the audience a bit of an idea of of what the uh, size of the uh, chemical um, market is on a global basis, and these are very round numbers, please keep that in mind, uh, is about a two and a half to three trillion dollar business. In another perspective, uh, view. In another perspective, um, it represents about three to three and a half percent of Europe's GDP, uh, about three percent of North America's GDP, um, about seven percent of the Asia Pacific's uh, GDP, uh, and Latin America four and Middle East three. So, the, the chemical petrochemical industry is is certainly important. Uh, these numbers, percentage-wise of GDP, may be low, but but GDPs are by and large quite huge numbers. So I think that, that again, the chemical industry has an impact on global GDP uh, and, and is therefore uh, an extremely important uh, market to follow, I think, if you are in any kind of business. The uh, breakdown of these chemicals uh, are usually done in two different segments, one known as commodities and the other one known as specialties. Uh, the commodities normally represent about two-thirds of the total value and certainly more of the volume, uh, and the specialties are usually about a third of this uh, $2.5 to $3 trillion a year industry that I mentioned before. What's happening lately is that the distributors that play an important role in getting these chemicals from the producer to the end user uh, have started to uh, grow their market share uh, of what is made and what is sold through distribution. Uh, and many of them have now been challenged with how to handle both commodities and specialties at the same time. Uh, so that's something that I think is uh, important to keep in mind is, is can you be a Walmart at the same time as being Tiffany and having both of them you know, work safely under one roof? My personal belief is that uh, that's one of the biggest challenges that the chemical industries distributors have nowadays 
uh, and are struggling with how to really handle that properly. Because you're talking such different volumes, I assume, and and channels with which you market those. Yes. So commodities are completely logistics driven, whereas specialties are not. The average price of a specialty is usually at least five to 10, if not 15 times more that of the average price of a commodity. Uh, and in commodities, uh, the margins are extremely slim and therefore uh, an ocean freight, um, uh, you know, 5% more or less can have a huge impact on the outcome of the profitability for both producers and, and, and other you know, distributors or, or traders. Uh, specialties are driven purely on value added services. Uh, labs, uh, developmental uh, uh, capabilities. Um, and so price is not the issue usually. Uh, it's more how can you educate the customer uh, to use that one particular product that, that, uh, that you're, you know, you're manufacturing. You know, so it's all about um, educating the market um, with, with these products. So again, commodities depend on ships, terminals, trucks, uh, whereas specialties depend on labs, tech people, um, formulations, and the ability to educate, you know, uh, people how to use these, these uh, chemicals. We both know organizations that have tried to you know, build a, a specialty business on top of a commodities business, and it is a real challenge. You've got very different, you know, capital life cycles, the R&D process. It's a very different business. Um, and, I, you know, I agree it can be a real challenge to encompass both of those within one integrated organization. Mm -hmm. Dow Chemical went through a, a, a period of time where they were trying to move away from commodities, made some acquisitions. Uh, one of their more, more um, emblematic acquisitions was Roman Haas. Um, and that did not go so well. The cultures clashed. And by the time that uh, the merger was uh, completed, uh, the commodities market turned back around again, and Dow basically went back, Dow Chemical, that is, went back to focusing on commodities. So uh, commodities, by and large, have always been a boom and bust, but when it's going well, it's gangbusters. When it is not going well, then you see a lot of bankruptcies. And so, again, in, in, in a nutshell, the chemicals business is, is uh, very important for, uh, for, for any country in the world. Anything that you touch practically has some form of chemical or a derivative thereof. Uh, and as I said, two-thirds is commodities, one-third is uh, specialties. Uh, and uh, the channel to market usually is about 80% direct from a manufacturer to its customers, and roughly 20% is indirect, meaning through agents, reps, or most usually distribution companies. And I guess talking about those distribution companies, those you know, in quotes traders, um, and and the industry more broadly, you spoke about Dow. Part of that pressure to move to the right of the value chain, move into specialties, is the boom bust nature of commodities. But also, there's some more structural elements going on there at the moment, where transparency, you know, um, is making perhaps the 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 booms. <laughs> less boomy uh, um you know it's getting it, it, i don't know it seems to me that it might be getting harder and harder for traders to take advantage of ex, you know of existing arbitrages um and perhaps previously is that is that a, a something you're seeing happening in the the chemicals space absolutely uh paul i think that the 
the days of a trader uh, being able to monetize and arbitrage are slowly over. The customers are becoming much more educated. There's real-time information. The digitization is, of course, an, an, another enemy of the trader. And what you see in my mind is trading companies uh, having to, as I say, come on shore, meaning that they are having to invest in infrastructure, in, in, in tanks, in production. Uh, you know, they, they're having to reinvent themselves because purely to remain as a trading company, uh, traditionally known in the past, the room with a whole bunch of people with phones. Uh, I think that those days are over. Um, you look at companies like Cargill, one of the largest privately held uh, trading houses in the world. They are much more a producer today than they are a speculative trader. Glencore, Trafigura, uh, and companies like these have all uh, engaged uh, heavily into logistics, in ships, uh, in, in, in ports, in terminals, uh, in, in a way that they can control the costs of moving these commodities. And so they are much more now a logistics operator than purely a speculative uh, intermediary that is buying something for $1 and trying to sell it for $1.10 to someone else. Interesting. And I guess you've seen in the um, those big trading houses that you mentioned uh, on the, I guess, uh, the sort of more traditional commodities, you've seen actually consolidation as, as scale has begun to matter because you need to own those assets to control those um, supply chains and the information. Has the same thing happened in the, in the chemicals commodity space as well? Yes, absolutely. I would say chemical distribution business is still very fragmented, and everyone says that, and you can read that anywhere. You read an article about chemical distribution. Uh, acquisitions have been taking place for the last 20 years. Uh, and still, I would say that the largest uh, chemical distributor, which is Brentag in the world, with sales of about 13 billion euro thereabouts, uh, is, 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 uh, has, a, has a very small market share of the, um, shall we say, distribution market um, per se. So, so it's, it's the, the, there's a need to consolidate um, and also there's something that a lot of people don't realize, which is the threat of the Amazons and the Alibabas. Uh, they have proven that they can take commodities and they can um, put them on a platform. And people are starting to realize that they can also buy their chemicals through a, a platform uh, like this. And the thing that's missing is simply the logistics. So, uh, you know, there's this, this threat looming that, that a company like Amazon and or Alibaba with their very large pockets uh, is constantly searching for new markets to enter. And I, I know for a fact that they've already started in chemicals uh, a business. They have yet to launch a, uh, um, let's say, a, a large global initiative on this. Um, and I think that the reason for that is they just haven't figured out who is going to FedEx or DHL their products, so to speak, you know, uh, without that, uh, they, they, they can't deliver. But I, I think that that threat is there uh, and, it, and it can be um, for the producer a threat. But it certainly is a threat for uh, distributors and, and other intermediaries. Out of interest, which way is the trend going? You mentioned that 80% is direct sales. Is that increasing or decreasing in the current environment? 
it's decreasing. Uh, the, the, the share that goes to chemical distribution is growing. Uh, and I'd say it, it's certainly more uh, prevalent on the specialty side because producers are not able to have the scale to access those mid to smaller customers that do require assistance with uh, labs and all and all these other things. Uh, on the commodity side, I think it's it's less, but on the specialty side, uh, I think that you see more and more uh, of the sales of these producers going through distributors or specialty application uh, intermediaries, let's say, than commodities. Because hmm. I guess in over the last decade and even longer, those big energy trading houses or the metals and oil trading houses, you know, um, privately owned, a lot of them had made some forays into pet chems, but it's never been, I guess they've never sort of taken significant market share. Do, do you see that happening or what, what do you think is behind that? Why haven't you seen the big trading houses come in and, and, and take up, take over from that fragmented space? I think that again, they are totally different animals. I mean, you, a company like Brentag has 15,000 plus employees, uh, you know, a, a trading company that has sales of 10 or 12 or 15 billion will have maybe 500 or, or 800 employees. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's culturally a huge difference. Uh, and that's why I think that what they've done is they've concentrated on the infrastructure rather than going full out into acquiring uh, a distribution company um, and, and try and, and, and take a go at it. Uh, I, you know, on, on the production side, it's funny that, you know, there's some oil companies like Exxon that have been very successful in the um, chemicals manufacturing uh, side of the industry. So they, they explore, they produce oil, and then, and then they obviously uh, utilize the chemical raw materials that they make to then bolster their chemical manufacturing business. And I, I believe that Exxon is definitely one of the more successful players in that field. You take BASF, which is the largest chemical manufacturer in the world, they're not an oil company. Dow Chemical is not an oil company. However, Total, uh, for instance, the French, uh, they've proven as of late that they have done a pretty good job at also um, getting into the chemicals uh, production side and, and, and do pr pretty good job. Shell has practically pulled out uh, of the chemical um, manufacturing sector. So it, it, it's a mixed bag of goodies. Not everyone is good at uh, making these chemicals. I think one of the reasons why Exxon stands out is because they have decided that they, they are either number one or number two in whatever they produce, or they simply sell that business off. So they concentrate on few products, but they go very deep and they go very, uh, you know, they really anchored into the, the manufacturing of those specific products where they are very profitable. And it might also end up being potentially, um, you know, as we go through a decarbonization, an important um, lifeline or life raft for these oil producers too, right? You can see them, you know, building up their chemical manufacturing capabilities, um, becoming somewhat agnostic as to whether the chemicals themselves are pet chems or produced by other sustainable energies that, you know, um, drive the, the various chemical processes to, to, to create them. You know, for sure, Paul, the, the revolution, the shale gas revolution is, is proof of that. I mean, you see here in the 
Gulf Coast is is an enormous investment in ethylene crackers. Uh, I'd say that the impact of that has yet to be seen because it's still a couple of years away before all of them are finished. But you take a car and you drive in the direction of Beaumont and Port Arthur and Lake Charles and you see nothing but brand new um, you know, facilities that are all basically fed with cheap shale gas. And that means that those um, ethylene crackers are going to produce raw materials for people that are going to make plastics. Uh, United States Gulf, the U.S. Gulf is going to replace cheap plastics and polymers that have been coming out of Asia. Uh, Latin America will be flooded with American-made polymers. It already has started. The logistics, therefore, will change the type of, uh, of uh, infrastructure required. Um, the, 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 you know, it's a short, short lead time compared to Asia. The container can be loaded in Houston and can be in Colombia or, or Chile or Peru within 10 days, 15 max, whereas you know, coming from Asia usually takes you 45. So I, I think that the, the, um, certainly the shale gas has changed the landscape uh, uh, quite a bit. Uh, and, and, you know, as they say today, the word of, of, of order besides, of course, greenhouse gas emissions and all that is climate neutral. They, they, you know, you want to move in the direction of having a climate neutral uh, production because at the end of the day, you will be punished if you are uh, effectively a, you know, uh, um, uh, not a carbon footprint efficient manufacturer, either whether it's in the States or anywhere else, uh, more and more people are looking at, at this as a very important sustainable aspect of, of their business. Yeah, and I guess just taking a step back, going back to the shale revolution, so I think it's something like $200 billion have been invested in crackers over the last uh, five years, a huge investment based on cheap natural gas liquids. You know, that's under threat at the moment, I guess, from a number of angles. One just being, you know, the low oil prices mean much of that um, production might come offline. Some of it already has, but also you've kind of got this comes back to supply chain security, I suppose, where you've had such disruption that people are or countries are thinking about their own chemical manufacturing capabilities, and you have this sort of potential national champions rising as well to to you know support um, home based economies, and you've you know, you've also got global depressed oil prices, so actually that cost advantage that the U.S. had. You know, is not so potentially not so significant. What what's what is I guess what is I'm, I'm you know in the middle of a pandemic. Do does that same um, I guess forecast hold true? Do you see it being sort of somewhat diverted? Um, you know, do you think all those investments on the U.S. Gulf Coast are looking safe? I do, Paul. Uh, I, I think that that setting COVID aside and the trade wars that are currently taking place. On a long-term basis, I think that the United States infrastructure and the, and the way that the supply and the certainty from a legal perspective uh, is, this is not going to go away. There are some that might be too late to the game and they will be scrapped. But I would say that, that uh, at least two-thirds of those projects that were announced a good five, six years ago, you know, have gone through and have either finished or are or about to. Uh, and and um, I, I, in a way, think that oil and gas have become decoupled 
and all of these uh, gas derivative chemicals, uh, you know, whether oil is at 20 or at 80, yeah, it could have an impact, but, but you know, the, the, the abundancy of gas uh, it, it is, is simply not going to go away. Uh, and I'm convinced that, you know, within a year or two, once this all blows over, uh, you're going to see a robust and very buoyant, you know, chemical production economy here in, in, in the U.S. Gulf. I'm convinced of that. Do you see international, well, I guess in, in uh, the Middle East, um, you know, other areas of cheap production, do you see similar trends, you know, uh, investment in chemical plants, taking it away from sort of the traditional bases in Europe and indeed in the U.S.? Yes. In other words, um, clearly, the Middle East producers were used to just selling gas, and, and they were happy as a lark doing that. Uh, today, that has changed. They have uh, been forced to become a chemical and petrochemical manufacturer. And so what you see is, is uh, companies like Muntajat and, and, uh, and the Aramcos and others getting into uh, uh, you know, businesses that they were not before. Uh, we see them trying to penetrate the United States market. So, so what's happened is someone has gone from selling a raw material, a very basic raw material, to now using it themselves uh, and, and, and upgrading it, you know, to a, a more expensive and sophisticated, uh, you know, chemical or, or petrochemical. And so the, the, the antidote, they, I think they're making the right decision. The right decision is not to try to drop your, your, your gas price. Uh, it's, it's to take abundant cheap gas and use it to manufacture more value added and more, uh, let's say, quality type, type products. The challenge is go out there and, and sell it. And, you know, if you are a Sherwin-Williams and you are buying a lot of chemicals locally from producers, you will invite a, a Middle East producer once in a while to participate in your requirements because, you know, that's what's going to keep U.S. producers uh, honest. And so, you know, what, 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 as they say, what goes out, some of it has to come back in. I think that the U.S. will always be an export-import market. Uh, and so the challenge is for these uh, producers outside of the United States is to find the right tankage, to find the right uh, setup. Uh, so, for instance, if you are uh, a distributor that has been working with Exxon Chemical or Dow for the last 25 years and a Saudi or a Middle East producer comes online and comes knocking on your door and says, hey, why don't you drop that chemical manufacturer and become my distributor? It's not going to be so easy because these producers, uh, you know, represent a very important part of the whole portfolio of that distributor. So what's happening is that these new players are having to figure out how can I get into that market, and digitization certainly is one way of doing that. But again, they still need someone to do the actual delivery, the DHL or FedEx for those chemicals. Mm. And by digitization, this is like BASF, you know, creating an online portal for customers. Is, yes. it, is it that kind of, you know, basically trying to provide better access to pricing, acquisition, whatever it might be? Yes. So if you are, again, a, a Middle East producer and you, you now are producing acetone, so to speak, well, you rent a tank in Houston and you build an online portal and you offer your product for people to click, 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 and they buy it online. And what's missing is you need to make sure that you have the ability to, li to deliver the goods. So you need to have a, you know, a local entity here that can, that can service the needs of the customers. And, and all of that, 
either is 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 you know bought either by a company that's already doing it, uh, or you set up shop yourself. So you know, I think that the digitization speeds up that process, and this COVID uh, pandemic certainly, I think, will accelerate even more the need for producers to have to look at you know digitization to sell their goods, without a doubt. And this is where I guess. Coming back to that question of, of about how do you compete in the basic commodities space, you know, you you have to own the logistics. Piece. I guess that's where Andino comes in, right? You've you've mm-hmm. you you have that infrastructure set up to be able to support those, you know, that sort of uh, destination marketing that these these producers need. Absolutely, and it's got to be intelligent logistics, uh, Paul. Because I mean, what we've noticed is that the the tendency is. Sometimes uh, a ship owner will become very cozy with a trader and, and, and they will not allow for other third parties to, you know, compete, uh, even though they may not be doing anything illegal, but, but it's just relationship driven. So what we've done is we have time chartered vessels, chemical carriers in markets where we've seen that, you know, we weren't being offered competitive conditions. And, and we did this on behalf of a producer and on behalf of customers that were clamoring for a change. Uh, and, and in the case of Mexico, where we bought uh, and now operate a small terminal that used to belong to Exxon, uh, it's the same case. There are still people that are not happy with logistics, especially for commodities. Uh, they are paying a lot of money for demurrage and congestion. And so we are working very diligently on finding solutions to bypass the congestion both in Houston as well as in Mexico. And congestion equals demerge, and demerge equals buy-by margin. And most of these commodities have a 10 or a 15% margin, um, if any, on, you know, on a product that may cost $800 a ton. Well, you get one demerge bill, and that margin has been wiped out. And I guess this is where we talked earlier about perhaps why these big global traders with you know, the, the 700 people employees aren't in this, is you know the... I guess the you need people much closer to your customers, much more um, engaged with local infrastructure c- complexity, you know, because you're dealing on a on a smaller scale, smaller shipments. It's a it's a much more complex supply chain business, I guess, you know, which means you can be specialist by region, you know, and, and that's what you, I guess you need to compete on the logistics side in in the chemical space. Yes, absolutely. One thing I found fascinating is that. We talk a lot about petrochemicals. You know, I don't know, fifty percent of of all chemicals, if not more, come from oil and gas derivatives. But there is a um, a number of organisations out there and uh, responding to decarbonisation, investigating: can you use sustainable energy sources to drive um, the chemical processes that produce these precursors? Do you see that going on? Do you think in ten, twenty years? There won't be petrochemicals anymore. It will just that could disappear. I think that uh, yes, but I think that gas. I consider gas, even though it is a fossil fuel, I think that it is here to stay um, because it's clean burning. But I, I you know, I take for instance uh, jet fuel. Uh, there is a company I think based out of Colorado or California uh, who announced just before COVID that they signed an agreement with Delta to start supplying them with uh, basically uh, green jet fuel. 
and that jet fuel is not made from from a a um, uh, hydrocarbon or a uh, you know oil or gas source. It's 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 made from amongst others ethanol, and so to me it's slow. The adoption is slow, but but you know airlines have been particularly hit hard with what they call carbon footprint shaming. If you go to uh, Europe, uh, I was in Holland last year, and everyone that was I was talking to were all saying, "Oh, you're flying! Oh my God, shame on you! You know, you are you are helping uh, greenhouse gas emissions, yada yada yada." So I think that those areas where there's a lot of public pressure, definitely an alternative uh, will be found. Uh, and sometimes it, it can be more, a bit more expensive than what currently the, the alternatives are. But I, I do not believe that, you know, just like electrical vehicles, uh, you know, their sales will continue to grow. But, but for the foreseeable 50 or 75 years, I don't see how internal combustion engines are suddenly going to disappear and everything is going to be electric, uh, Paul. Um, I guess you st- we started the, the uh, our discussion with you mentioning about chemicals being very much a, a leading indicator of economic um, stress or improvement. Where are we at right now? Are we, you know, What's the, the market out there saying about um, the state and the impact of COVID and, and what sort of your, I guess, take on the next year or, or so? <laughs> if you can get your crystal ball out. Yeah. <laughs> I think that uh, you're going to see some announcements of some some companies that are not going to be able to financially meet their obligations that were perhaps um, overburdened. They had overburdened or have been overburdening their balance sheets. Um, I think that that for sure, if the, the, the outcome of the election uh, here in the United States is going to have an impact one way or another, uh, if, for instance, Trump is reelected, uh, it's clear that the uh, the government's direction is going to be to redirect uh, where they source certain certain products from Vietnam, Thailand, they will promote everything but China, uh, and so that will create opportunities. Uh, so I, I think that there's going to be another shakeup. The tree is going to drop some fruits that already were dangling and ready to fall from the tree. Uh, there will be fewer producers. And one of the things, Paul, that I think a lot of people don't realize is if you look at, at, over the last 15 years, the top 20 chemical manufacturers, in essence, their share price and their enterprise value has remained pretty unattractive. There's been very few that really have, you know, sort of a, a accelerated uh, improvement uh, in, in, in their value. And the reason for that, I believe, is that there's still too many people out there making the same product, number one. And number two, uh, I think that they haven't really understood what it is that the market needs. Uh, and this is one of the points that I had mentioned to you earlier in a phone call. I think that the market needs to be educated uh, about what more can I make that could be of value and use for the consumer. Uh, too, too, too many countries still depend on just you know one or two paint factories. Uh, and these paint factories still continue to consume the same products. They might try to incorporate one or two green products, but there are other ways of doing things. Uh, that that require you know an educated process. Uh, so again, I think that that uh, there's a saying in Spanish that when the river is uh, is very uh, turbid and moving a lot, uh, fishing can be better. Uh, and so I, I think th- this is now truly 
going to be um, a, a, a period of one or two, three years of tremendous opportunity for those that have a healthy balance sheet. And it's going to be bad news for those that don't, because this COVID is, to me, here to stay. Uh, we will see more and more of this type of situation uh, happening uh, in, in the future. So if you're not prepared to quickly regenerate, then you're out of the game. I completely agree. And I also think that comment on stock prices and valuations, you know, I think that's indicative again. And it's true and it happens, I think, across the commodities industry. If you're an organization that combines that a commodities business with a specialty business, both businesses get discounted to some extent because they are two, they're very different beasts. Um, and, I, and I think that's why we've seen you know, um, oil companies sell off their chemicals businesses, chemicals businesses sell off their specialty businesses and, and yes. you know, and, yeah. and then it will come back together. And I, I think it's fascinating that you said that um, actually this, the chemicals, even the commodities side of it still remains quite fragmented. Uh, it seems like there's going to be a lot of change and opportunity over the next couple of years with the catalyst, uh, pun intended, um, of, uh, of COVID. Yes, exactly. It's an opportunity for people too be great to you know get a, i guess your thoughts on the on the people side of the business yeah so so i i think paul that my experience has been chemical manufacturing and distribution side uh, of the business has been notorious for not really compensating talent and uh you know the focus has always been on the guys that are uh, you know wearing a white bath of uh, a uh, robe sorry not bath of a robe uh, with a bunch of pens and stuff like that, who are the R&D guys. Um, but, but, you know, I, I think that, that, that what's missing in our industry is talented people uh, that really are not there because the compensation has not been uh, appropriate. And so, you know, when you ask anyone, well, you know, it's a chemical industry, yeah, nice, but, you know, not really appealing. I'd rather get into the, you know, in the, uh, uh, I don't know, aviation or some other industry where the pay is better. So something fundamentally has to be improved in terms of how uh, the, the chemical manufacturing and distribution uh, remunerates uh, its, uh, it, the, 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 or attracts more talented people. That's missing. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, um, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because purely, if it's, if it's typically seen as purely logistics and sales as opposed to the more sort of glamorous trading if you'd like um you know that 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 certainly hasn't has an impact um and it's also um we speak about this quite a bit on the podcast is you know it's where where does talent want to go and i think the chemicals industries perhaps not as um you know you, you've had the banking industry with tremendous wage opportunities you've had now sort of the the renewable sectors you know a hot sector for grads and it's thinking about perhaps how the you know more broadly how does the chemical industry you know frame itself so that it is more attractive um you know to uh um to 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 grads uh, of of both genders i think on the logistic you know frankly it's it's um in the end, whether you know a logistics business, a trading business, it's always down to the people and those companies that reward and um, you know uh, um, recognize their people and therefore can get the best people are the ones that typically do the best, right? Um, I'm pretty sure that uh, yeah. So so I th you know 
Um, I think those things in some ways can sort themselves out, especially as that marketplace gets more competitive uh, and starts to consolidate. Yes, and I've always believed that you know chemical manufacturers are very good at making something, but they're not good at selling it, which is why there is a, a, a huge opportunity for traders and distributors to be in, in, in that market. Uh, and also, uh, you know, it hasn't been, but, you know, very short in very short last five, seven, ten years that universities have started to offer supply chain as a major. But when you go and you see who's recruiting, it's usually Pepsi, Procter & Gamble or that kind of companies and not large chemical manufacturers, you know, um, and these are the talented kids that are coming from school. And, and basically, uh, you know, uh, P&G and others, like I said, are quicker at getting those than the chemical manufacturing industry. That's my experience. We know those, um, I, I, look, I've, I guess, my experience with the chemicals world, especially on the specialty side, is more through the nutrition world. And, you know, you just have to look at the makeup of the executive committees. They're all scientists, you know. Um, Yes, exactly. You know, and, and yes. so it's kind of the classic problem, right? The the route to success within Kodak was to be a, a, a film guy. Um, yes. You know, uh, and the, the people who made, invented the digital camera didn't get a look in um, and look where they are now. Um, yeah. But it's been, well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Peter. I, I, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I think it's a fascinating sector of uh, or sector in, in our in our world and um you know i'm really excited for to hear and see the changes over the next couple of years and um you know very excited for uh for andino and 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 your company's growth and i appreciate the opportunity um paul it's, it's been a, a pleasure it's made me stop and think a little bit as well uh sometimes i say you have to stop and smell the roses and you know we're so busy sometimes just focusing on the next opportunity that we don't stop to really look at the big picture. And I think that that's an important job that you're doing here is to make people reflect. And uh, so I appreciate the opportunity. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, look forward to talking to you soon. Cheers and have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to the HC Insider podcast. To find out more about HC, go to hcinsider.global, where there's more news and content focused on the commodities markets.